Take your seat, grab your Bibles. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. If you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Jonah. Kids, you are dismissed alongside Miss Joy. Uh, if you would, grab one of those blue hardback Bibles. Richard, would you mind grabbing that one for me? I should probably have my Bible right. <laughs> if you would, I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word uh, out in front of them. Uh, this is a great opportunity to remind yourself to always bring your Bible to church. It's a great time to uh, build that relationship you have with your Bible, take notes, underline things. Uh, but if you don't have a print Bible, you can please take one of these blue hardback Bibles home with you. Uh, think of it as our gift to you. Uh, we're into page 920. We're in the book of Jonah. And if you've been with us, you'll know that we are going through the whole Old Testament, one book per week, which leads us to the most famous of the minor prophets, uh, Jonah. With that in mind, friend, let's hear the reading of God's word. We're just going to look at the first few verses, but we really are going to look at the whole story of Jonah this morning. Now, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts to see your heart of compassion and mercy, even for those who are different than us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we go into uh, Jonah, I have a couple of thank yous that I really uh, need to give out. First, I need to thank you for everybody you know, in the room right now and, and watching online for going through the Old Testament <laughs> with me like this. Uh, we have our last two months in this series and really, more and more than anything, I hope that you are seeing the heart of a God who is full of justice, but also incredible compassion and mercy. I hope you're seeing more and more how the Old Testament really is chock full of God's grace. Um, also, you know, I have to thank some other people. Uh, every Friday at noon, I've been meeting with uh, a, a small group of men for months to wrestle with each book of the week. So this past Friday, me and a handful of guys wrestled with the story of Jonah. So if you're in that group in the room right now, will you please just stand up and let everybody see who that is? So I'm, I'm looking at some of you. I know you guys are in here in the room. Uh, so guys, thank you so much for being here. You can sit down right now. We're not going to applaud you or anything. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we got enough applause already this morning. Yeah, but I love you guys. I really appreciate you being a part of that. Uh, you've helped me more than you know. Um, also, uh, if there are any other men in the room that really have Fridays at noon open, we would love for you to join us and wrestle with these passages. So this upcoming Sunday, we're going to be wrestling with the book of Micah, and I'm going to be testing out parts of my sermon on you. And uh, anyway, that's just an open invitation uh, to the men in the room. Uh, but really, as I think about this sermon, and I've named this sermon The View from Joppa, uh, and I must thank the Reverend Dr. Tyshawn Gardner, uh, who is one of my uh, professors uh, recently, uh, who showed me the beauty of Joppa. Uh, Tyshawn Gardner uh, is a U.S. Navy veteran. He teaches at Beeson Divinity School. He also teaches at Stillman College, a historically black college. He also teaches at the University of Alabama, and he also serves as the senior pastor of the historically black Plum Grove Baptist Church 
in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I owe Dr. Gardner a tremendous debt in the preparation of this sermon. But let's go back to that title, if you will, The View from Joppa. It appears right there. Maybe you missed it, but it's right there in our passage. It's right there in verse 2. Did you catch that? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa. Well, you may be thinking, well, where in the world is Joppa? Well, Joppa is on the coast of Israel. Some of you have probably been there. You may know it by its modern name as, anybody know? Tel Aviv. In fact, if you go on Google Maps, you'll see that it's actually referred to as Tel Aviv Jaffa. And so Elijah, excuse me, uh, Jonah has gone to Joppa for a particular reason. But why is he running down to the coast? And if you follow uh, the text, what happens is he leaves his town and he goes down to Joppa. And then when he's in Joppa, he goes down into the boat. And then when he goes down into the boat later on in just a few verses, in verse 5, it says he goes down into the very bottom of the boat. And then eventually, as many of you know from Sunday school as children, what happens to poor Jonah in the boat? He gets tossed over the side. And then Jonah says he went down into the depths, to the roots of the mountains. So this is strange for us because Jonah is a prophet, right? His job is to speak on behalf of God. And God has given Jonah a mission to go to that great city, that wicked city. He says, go to Portland, that great wicked, excuse me, excuse me, I did not mean that. That was a Freudian slip. You know, when you say one thing, but you mean your mother, it's a total slip of the tongue. He said, go down to San Francisco. No. Where does he go? He says, go to that great wicked city, Nineveh. And Jonah runs away, which begs the question, why does Jonah run away? Really, why does he not want to go? Is it because God has told him, I'm going to forgive him. Everything's cool. Well, look what the message is that God tells Jonah to deliver. Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Portland, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Right? Just kidding. I love people from Portland. Arise and call out against it. And yet Jonah runs away. Why did Jonah run away? God is telling Jonah to send a message of coming judgment. And, you know, you may think that seems very Old Testament-like of God, to just call out this nation for their sin. But, friends, when God calls out wicked nations, it's not because, you know, they're just uh, willy-nilly doing things that, you know, we just, you know, they they butter their, you know, bread on the wrong side. Uh, You can actually go home and Google this. Look up ancient Assyrian cruelty. Uh, The Assyrian Empire, which Nineveh is the capital, Nineveh and the Assyrians were incredibly cruel. They impaled people, they tortured them, they flayed them, and they glorified it all over their decorations. You can look all over this. The impaling of people by the Assyrians is well attested, and they bragged about it. They, they carved it into stone. The Assyrians were ethnically different than Jonah. They were religiously different than Jonah, and they had a different understanding of justice than Jonah, and they certainly did not worship the God of the Bible. They worshiped the false gods, and as we know from history, the Assyrians will ultimately one day remove and exile the ten tribes of Israel from the promised land. They are what some commentators today have called a terrorist state. And so what God has done is he's taken a believer, somebody like you or me, and he said, go over to the terrorist state, if you will, in modern language, and call out against it. 
for its evil is great against me. It is an unjust society. Pretty interesting, right? But is Jonah afraid that the Ninevites are going to kill him? Is that why he runs away? I mean, if God called you or your children to go to Kabul right now, not as a soldier, but as a missionary, would you be afraid? Would you be afraid for your kids? Would you think that God may call people to do different things than put their life on the line? Is that what's motivating Jonah? Is he afraid of the Ninevites? Well, the book of Jonah takes several chapters to explain why Jonah doesn't want to go. But it's incredibly important, and the whole book hinges on you and I understanding why Jonah doesn't want to go. To put it a different way, the whole book of Jonah depends on you rightly understanding what was the view from Joppa. When Jonah walked to the edge of the Mediterranean, and he's in Joppa, and Nineveh's that way, and God says, go there. Jonah says, I am going in literally the exact opposite direction. You know where Tarshish is? Nobody knows. Tarshish was the Hebrew word for the farthest geographical point that anybody could think of, right? It's like, go to Portland. And you're like, what did you say? Go to Key West? Okay. <laughs> it's as far away as he could get in the opposite direction. And then, of course, as I mentioned already, if you look in chapter 1 and 2, his descent away from the Lord is depicted as a series of steps down, 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 right? Verse 2, he went down to Joppa. Then he paid the fare and went down into the boat. Why does he tell you he went down into the boat? Obviously, he went down into the boat. Well, it's because Jonah's trying to get you to realize that when you and I walk away from the Lord or disobey him, it's not just a one-time thing. Many times when our hearts turn away, we realize that we're actually many steps further away from the Lord than we realized, right? This is that whole idea about our decisions don't just sort of um, add on top of each other like Lego blocks. You know, unfortunately, the way that life works is our decisions really compound on themselves, right? I mean, this is that whole thing about compounding interest, right? And so that's, that's the beauty of compounding interest is not that your interest goes like that. When you have compounding interest, it turns into like a hockey stick, right? And so what happens is Jonah turns his heart. He doesn't want to go to the Ninevites for some reason we haven't quite figured out yet. And because of that, his hockey stick is not going like this closer to the Lord. It's going like this. Very quickly, those decisions compound on themselves. And, of course, what does the Lord do? Well, in verse 4, he famously hurls a storm on the boat, right? And then the mariners are afraid. And, no, he's not talking about the baseball team. He means, like, sailors, right? And the sailors, they cry out to their God, and they don't know what to do. And the irony is these pagan sailors ask Jonah, they say, well, what are we supposed to do? What does your God want us to do? And he says, oh, just kill me. Just throw me over. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. And they're like, we're not going to kill you. Are you crazy? That's murder. And so he finally has to convince them to do it. And the irony is these pagan sailors are showing themselves to be more just than Jonah is. And then it's even more ironic because God says in verse 2 to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah ends up in the bottom of a ship. And what happens, of course, is the captain says, Arise, go to your God and pray for, to him on our behalf. And the same words, arise, arise, come from God and this strange sailor. Interesting, right? 
So what happens? Well, obviously, he gets thrown over the boat. It's this interesting, ironic image that Jonah is full of irony. Jonah, this believer in God, is thrown into the ocean because he'd rather die than obey God's call. And then the boat, the guys on the boat, you know what they end up doing? Look at verse 16 in chapter 1. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. <laughs> That's the end scene of the boat, is these pagan men are now sacrificing and worshiping to the God of Israel, and poor Jonah has been thrown down into the sea. Now, what all are we supposed to get from this? You know, in chapter 2, he talks about being in the belly of the fish and uh, you know, friends, I would just say, don't worry, don't get tripped up on the fish, right? I mean, if you're worried about the whale, if you're worried that that seems too outlandish, don't forget that the foundation of our faith is that Jesus came back from the dead, right? So if God can raise the dead to life, we shouldn't get worried about the fish. Uh, you know, when people get worried about the fish, you know, um, it reminds me of a great cultural artifact that our society has produced. Um, a few years ago, our culture produced a film called Joe Dirt. And it's one of the worst movies ever made, and I'm not commending it to anybody. It's totally stupid. But there's a very beautiful scene in the dumb movie. Has anyone seen Joe Dirt? It's the kind of movie you don't admit to seeing, right? You know what I mean? It's one of those, I don't know, I didn't see that. But in Joe Dirt, there's this wonderful scene where Joe Dirt finds an asteroid, and he finds it on the ground, and he puts it on this little red wagon, and he pulls it into town, and he's like, hey, everybody, I just found an asteroid. And then everyone in town goes, but where did you get the little red wagon? And he goes, you're focusing on the wrong part of the story. I found an asteroid. That's the joke. See, it's not a very good movie. <laughs> I didn't say it was a good movie. I didn't say it was a good story. But a lot of times, I think when we read Jonah, we're like, there is an asteroid. There is this incredible message of a compassionate God who loves people in Nineveh. And you're like, but what about the red wagon? What about the whale? Buddy, if you're worried about the whale, you're focusing on the wrong part of the story. You see, the point of the story is that God wants Jonah to be a prophet and to call out Nineveh for its sin. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. Why, though? Why doesn't he want to do it? Now look at chapter 3. God has saved Jonah in the belly of the fish. In verse 10 in chapter 2, it's so funny. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Um, all throughout Jonah, you realize what a great sense of humor God has. You know, like, it doesn't say that God had to, like, rein in the whale, you know? Like, God's like, hey, please, you know, will you let my guy go free? And then it vomits out. Yeah, it's pretty gross, right? He vomits out Jonah, but it's funny, right? You should be laughing at that image. You know, God's like, all right, you know, okay, you can spit him out now. And here's Jonah spat out on the dry land, you know, talk about an object lesson. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying what? Again, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And the amazing thing is if you read chapter 3, it's very short. Jonah goes around the city. It takes him three days to deliver this message because it's so busy. It's like Disneyland. There's just people everywhere, and he can't stand the crowds. But it takes him three days to go all throughout Nineveh, and he only has an eight-word sermon. Isn't this interesting? What's his amazing sermon? Look at verse 4. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> That's his amazing eight-word sermon. But the incredible thing is in chapter 3, verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And 
in verse 6 and following, even the king repents. Now, why in the world would the whole city repent? I mean, doesn't that beg credulity? I mean, why, why would it repent? Uh, well, many commentators have pointed out that there were several catastrophic things that had happened to Nineveh around the time of Jonah. And it's very possible that the people of Nineveh would have understood that maybe some god out there is trying to get our you know, act together, and he's trying to communicate to us. And so Jonah comes from hundreds of miles away, and he proclaims a message that, yes, there is going to be judgment for your wickedness. And so the people respond to that. And why would they listen to Jonah? Why, why believe this guy Jonah? He's not even from around here. Well, if you read the Bible, in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, we learn one thing about Jonah. It's one of the few times the Old Testament will also talk about Jonah besides this story. And in 2 Kings chapter 12, it talks about Jonah, the son of Amittai. And he is a prophet. And he lives during the time of guys like Hosea and Amos and other prophets. But what's interesting about Jonah is he goes to the king of Israel, Jeroboam, who, 2 Kings, make sure you know, does wicked things and is a wicked king. Even though he's Israel's king, he doesn't do what's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And you know what Jonah prophesies to the king of Israel? He says, Jeroboam, our national borders are going to expand. All the land that the other nations have taken from us and the Assyrians, we're all going to get it back. And that's exactly what happens during the lifetime of Jonah, is that his nation gets their land back. And now God calls this guy who believes Israel is the, the true nation and they were God's nation. And now God has called him, who had been proclaiming victory for his country, now has to go to their arch enemy and preach against them. So it's very possible that people in Nineveh knew who Jonah was. Maybe the king of Assyria had heard about him. Oh, this is the prophet who rightly predicted that Israel would expand its borders. We don't know that for sure, but that helps us put Jonah in context. And of course, what happens is the people of Nineveh, these wicked impalers, right? They try to repent as best that they can. It's very, it's very comical, although you may not know Bible humor, but let me point it out to you. Maybe you don't think it's funny. I think it's really funny. In verse 12, the king issues this decree, and he's like, okay, well, apparently the Lord is mad at us, so we need to repent. And he commands everybody not to eat or drink anything. And then he says, don't let any of the animals eat or drink. And then he says, everybody needs to put sackcloth on, which is, you know, this sort of coarse, you know, jacket that you would put on that was uncomfortable, that would demonstrate that you are very sad. And then what's funny is the king in verse 8, he says, let all the beasts put on sackcloth too, because maybe the cows sinned against God, right? Right, all the animals, you know, it's like, all right, come here, little sparky, you know, the, the little, your dog has to wear sackcloth. And that's meant to be humorous to us because clearly, like, the cows and the animals are not sinning. But this is why God will later on ask Jonah, shouldn't I have compassion on people like this who don't know their right hand from their left? They're trying to repent. They're trying as best as they know how. They got, you know, they got the poor old dogs covered in sackcloth, Jonah. Come on. Shouldn't I have compassion on people who don't know the truth? But let's go back. Why did Jonah run away? Is it because he's scared of the Assyrians? Is it because he's scared they're going to impale him? No. He tells us why. 
It's not because he's scared of the Assyrians. Do you know why he runs away? Well, the whole story hinges in verse 10 of chapter 3. Look down there. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Why did Jonah run away? When Jonah was on the banks of Joppa, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, not because he was scared. It's because he did not want these people to know the God of grace and forgiveness. He didn't want God to forgive them. They were the other. They were different ethnically. They were different morally. They were different religiously. And they were his national enemy. And he knew God. And he knew what God would do if they repented. And so he said, I don't want to go give the message of God's forgiveness to that group of people. Because they may take it. And you may forgive them. I'm not just making this up. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Uh, In Hebrew, it actually says, literally, it was evil in the eyes of Jonah that God would relent. Verse 2. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to him, Do you do well to be so angry? Why did Jonah run? Jonah ran because he knew God. And he knew God would save people from every nation, language, and tongue that called on him. And he knew God was abounding in mercy and in forgiveness. And Jonah, although he was a believer, although he was called by God to be a prophet, did not want others to experience God's compassion and grace. And so he says, I'd rather die than see you forgive sinners. And how does God respond? Do you do well to be so angry? And the story's not over. You know, oftentimes we think we know the Bible stories, but we really don't know them. And maybe we don't really get what they're saying to us. And what goes on is, verse 5 and following towards the end, the last just few verses, is Jonah, you know, because he's so mad, he thinks, well, maybe God will still smite the city. Maybe he'll still kill the bad guys. And so Jonah goes up on a hill and takes a different view. He's still viewing it from Joppa, I think. And he looks down over the city of Nineveh, And he sits down, and he's just stewing. He's just so angry. And he thinks, maybe God will come around to it, and God will just, you know, destroy him anyway. And so, because God is compassionate, even to people like Jonah, God gives him a plant. 
and God makes a plant grow, and it gives little Jonah shade. And Jonah's like, oh, I love this plant. Finally, something is going my way. I hate this city. Let it all burn. They're the bad guys. Let me sit on the bank and just watch it burn, maybe. And then, oh, I get to have this shade. And, you know, Jonah goes to sleep, and the next morning... He wakes up and he's like, let's see the destruction of Nineveh. Maybe God will change his mind. And you know what God does? He sends a little worm that kills the plant. And then it withers and dies. And then because Jonah still hasn't quite got the message, God decides to bake his little head in the sun. God sends him all of this heat. And so Jonah is about to faint. And then God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about the plant? Look at verse 9. Are you, are you, are you, is it right for you to be so angry right now, Jonah? And what does Jonah say? Yes! I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Hmm. How many of us sit in the shade of our porches or our living rooms, stewing, at all the great cities where the wicked are in charge, angry enough to die. So angry that we would prefer to see those cities burn than to see them redeemed by the grace of Jesus. Yes, I do well to be angry. And what does the Lord say? Verse 10, Jonah, you had pity on a plant which you didn't labor for, you didn't make it grow, and which was only around for a night, and it perished the next day. Should I not also pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and the cattle? You know, when somebody's really upset, sometimes you just got to appeal to humor. Jonah, the cattle. Come on, man. The cattle, they're wearing the sackcloth. And so the story of Jonah ends. So what are we supposed to learn from the story of Jonah? Two things. Two things I want you to see. Number one, friends, we worship the God who loves Nineveh who loves Portland and San Francisco and Washington, D.C. and Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And there are people in every one of those cities who don't know their right hand from their left. But friends, are you and I going to waste our lives angry on the hill? Isn't it funny that the believer, the believer who knows God is merciful can get to a point where he hates God because of it. God can do things that are evil in our eyes. Friends, the New Testament says this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved 
and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles, that is non-Jews, all people groups, this message about faith and truth. And I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. My friends, the God of the Old Testament has compassion on Nineveh. What does Jesus say when he comes to Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've yearned to gather you together like a mother hen. Friends, we serve a God who loves the great cities of this world. And our charge, like Jonah, is to go to those cities and to our communities and our families, not just with a message of doom and gloom, but a message of God's forgiveness. And this is not excusing sin. This is not explaining away the issues of injustice in our world. Because what is the message that Jonah gives? Your wickedness is going to be your downfall. (laughs) He's a message of judgment, but also grace. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. So the first thing I want you to see right there, number one, is the God who loves Nineveh. And do you share the same view? from Joppa, that the Lord has, not Jonah. Don't think about Jonah's view. Think about the Lord's view. The second thing I want to remind you of that I think is critical to understanding the book of Jonah, number two, is not only does God love Nineveh, that great and wicked city, and you want and yearn to see it redeemed, the God that we serve also loves Jonah, (laughs) And that is such great news if you are religious in the room right now because you and I are especially prone to receiving God's forgiveness but then judging others as unworthy of receiving that same forgiveness. Isn't that unbelievable that we as believers can become proud and look down at other people? that we can look down at them for their ethnicity or their religiousness or their morality. We can look down on others who don't know God's word. And we can harden our hearts and pray that God would just wipe them out. Uh, Friends, what we need to remember is the gospel of grace. We were by nature children of wrath, but God made us alive with him. Friends, the change that the gospel makes is that we realize we are the Ninevites. We deserve the punishment. And God loves us despite that. And God loves Jonah despite all of his issues. And I I believe with all my heart that Jonah comes around to sing God's grace. And the reason is because we have the story of Jonah. How else could we explain how we get these stories? How do we know Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish? How do we know about the plant? It's because at some point, I believe Jonah came around to sing the grace of God and worshiped him because he was full of steadfast love and forgiveness. You know, this reminds me of in the New Testament, Even the apostles of Jesus, they go to a place called Samaria. Trust me, you don't want to buy property in Samaria. It's not a good part of town. And they preach the gospel, and the Samaritans don't want to hear anything about it. And you know what some of the apostles say? They say, well, are you going to call down lightning to kill them? 
you know what Jesus says? He says, you got a lot to learn, guys. Got a lot to learn. No, we're not going to do it. And then the beautiful thing is, if you keep reading into books like the book of Acts, God then sends those very same apostles back to Samaria to preach the gospel of grace and forgiveness. So don't mistake that, well, that's just Jonah because he's in the Old Testament. He doesn't understand grace. He was all about judgment. Well, the apostles were the same way. And friends, so are you and I. We also struggle to remember how great God's grace and forgiveness is. So just in closing, Jonah's view from Joppa right before he stepped down into the boat. He knew that God was just, but also yearned to be gracious and to forgive those who repent. You know, Jonah was wrestling with his own prejudice, his own political goals. Does God really love the Ninevites? Does God's grace extend to the other? But friends, if you, if you know the Bible, you may vaguely remember that Jonah wasn't the only believer who walked to the banks of Joppa one day and wondered if God's love really could extend to people of other ethnic groups. In the New Testament, there's a man named Peter. Maybe you've heard of him. And Peter followed Jesus. But it wasn't until Acts chapter 10 when Peter, who was in Joppa, was in a house of a man called Simon the Tanner, Peter stood in Joppa, and there was a knock at the door. And a man named Cornelius, who was part of the wicked Roman Empire and who was not Jewish, came into the room and said, we were sent by an angel to come talk to you. And if you know the story, you may remember vaguely in Acts chapter 10 that when Peter was living in Joppa with Simon, he had a vision. And it was a vision of a great curtain coming down from heaven. And in the curtain was animals of every kind. And the point of the vision was that God was going to save people from every kind. Anyone who called upon the name of the Lord. And right there, Peter's view of different ethnic groups and different people, people who really did not know their right hand from their left, changed forever. You know what Peter says in Joppa? You can flip there. It's page 1092 in your Bible. Standing on the banks of Joppa, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God 
to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets, including Jonah, bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Friends, you and I stand on the banks of Joppa. But do you have the view from Calvary? That changes your view from Joppa. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us. Uh, Lord, you have saved us, those of us who come from wicked backgrounds, who did not know you, who didn't know our right hand from our left, and you saved us. And Lord, we praise you that you love those of us who are believers, like Jonah, who want to cling to your grace and not offer it to others. Father, break our hearts. Lord, would we repent just as much as the king of Nineveh repented? Father, would we recover a vision of your kingdom for our community and for all of our great cities? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.